everyone. My name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is presented by Stats Coach. Stats Coach is a hockey analytics company which works with the minor and junior hockey community. For more information, visit www.statscoach.ca or contact statscoach at outlook.com. Today we're joined by Ian Beckenstein, hockey operations assistant with Laval Rocket. From my initial conversations with Ian, I was instantly driven to have him come on the podcast and present his ideas, which are highly revolved around hockey operations and more specifically video coaching. With a unique career path to his current position, I think he presents an interesting story which hinges on the ideas of hard work and determination, both of which were present in Ian starting at the grassroots level. As someone who is always willing to share knowledge and provide insight on the industry, Ian takes it to another level in this interview, and it is one I'm excited to share with everyone today. With that, here's Ian Beckenstein, Hockey Operations Assistant with the Laval Rocket. I'm here with Ian Beckenstein, the Hockey Operations Assistant with Laval Rocket. Ian, thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, you know, people are always interested in hearing about people at the AHL level. And uh, to this point, I believe you're the first one we have on. So I think it's going to be great to hear about your experiences. And uh, the path you've taken to hockey is very interesting. So we'll get right into it. Uh, yeah, tell let's people go. About where you're from and speak to your involvement in sports growing up. Yeah, so I'm from Montreal, Quebec. Um, growing up, my involvement in sports was hockey during the winter, soccer in the summer. Um, I was honestly never good at hockey. I kind of just played for fun. Um, I never really had aspirations of playing in the NHL because I was never that good. And it didn't really, I don't want to say interest me, but I, I didn't have that kind of passion to play at such a high level to put in the work, you know? So, you know, as they say, those who don't play work. So here we both are. Yeah, for sure. I, I can attest to that as well. You know, I played uh, house league growing up and, uh, Maybe rarely early on, I said I wanted to be an NHL player, but I think it was pretty, uh, pretty short into the process that I realized maybe that wasn't the option. And, and like you said, here we are working. Um, so in school, you took uh, sport marketing and management, and you also took sociology. Uh, looking more so at the marketing and management that you did, uh, talk about your time in the program and how it helped you to prepare to work in sport. Yeah, so actually before I went to Champlain on the South Shore, I actually thought about going to uh, Brock, which I know you went to um, but sport marketing and management it was kind of an original program in and around uh, the Montreal area um, I thought you know that's what I want to get into I thought maybe it would be a good insight into sports but it's more you know if you want to work on the I don't know if, if business or administration of hockey is the right side of it you know we're doing management classes marketing classes um, so it was a good insight, a good twist on like your normal topics and, um, you know, what goes on in sports. But if, if it did help me with one thing, it definitely helped me with my time management and my organizational skills, which are really big because I didn't have a car at the time. So to get there and back was two and a half hours, three hours each way. So I would be doing my schoolwork on the Metro, you know, I had it time to a a T, which bus I need to take, which metro I need to take to make my classes, and then on the way home, which metro, which bus to get to either, which we'll talk about after, but the team, the old team I used to work for, their road games or their home games. So if anything I took out of that, it's definitely organization and time management skills. 
Yeah, that's that's quite the experience. Um, you know, other other people have touched on that that I've spoken with. Uh, me personally, I used to attend a lot of tournaments in uh, Ontario and in Toronto area. Coming from Niagara, I can remember jumping on a bus when you didn't have a car, jumping on a bus maybe five thirty in the morning, and you'd take two or three connections and finally get to the rink, say eleven o'clock that day, and you know you'd be you'd be pretty much beat out before you got to these tournaments. But I mean, if if it's what you're doing, it's something you're passionate about. You definitely. Uh, you know, you put in the work and, and time management skills is something obviously you'd probably use today as well. And it's a, it's a great skill to have. And, and those who get it, uh, you know, really get ahead in life. Uh, exactly. So uh, during your time in that program, you also started working with a AAA team in Quebec. Uh, talk about how you got in that position and your initial experience working as an equipment manager at that time. Yeah. So that was really my first uh, venture into hockey, uh, like real hockey, not my bad experience like I mentioned before so I originally got in just honestly as a goal judge a backup timekeeper filming the game um, a friend of mine worked uh, for the organization so he got me involved you know be around being around the rink uh, learning different things and then um, at when I was 17 their equipment manager went to Victoriaville in the queue and you know you mentioned equipment that was kind of my that was my second actual I guess dream to work in first was actually a scout and so that was my opportunity so I did that for four years and then after three years actually um, I I went to uh, Finland with Team Quebec on U15 trip and that was really my first you know personal experience being equipment you know just waking up eating going to the rink doing the laundry the sharpenings organize the room for the tournament and all that stuff and then uh that summer we also had a lot of nhl guys starting skate with us so you know you some of them used to play for us some of them you know you're around the rink all the time so they'll talk to you and i just asked them you know what's it really like in the nhl so they told me some stories and you know when you're young enough and you know i'm living at home still and you're working in minor hockey there's lots of opportunities to do other things so i did it again for another season and then after that, I said, uh, I want to try something else. So I still want to stay involved in the team. And that's when I got into video coaching. We didn't have a video coach. No one really in the league had a video coach in 2012, 12, 2013 was my first year, I think. And yeah, so I, I talked to head coach about it. He was all for it because obviously I saved him a ton of time. He doesn't have to go home and cut the game off uh, the DVD. And uh, yeah, I took the computer home. I invested in some time over the summer so that when the season started, I would actually be ready. Um, you know, I talk about it, uh, you know, how to get started in the blog. I know we're going to get to that later. You know, the key list, all that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, I learned so many lessons from working there. And I know some of the other guests have talked about, you know, working at a lower level can be very beneficial because, like I mentioned, there's so many opportunities to do more things. So you can have um a lot of responsibility a lot of different responsibility and really figure out what you want to do in life you know i had mentioned equipment manager video coach i had helped kind of our general manager and our head coach with planning so that's the you know administrative stuff that you know people don't really see um that general managers do you know i know everyone thinks it's trades and drafts but i think it was alex guinea who talked about you know he's he's going to pick up the chocolate milk and he's doing it you know that's what it takes at the lower levels and you know although I'm sure uh, an NHL GM isn't picking up chocolate milk, but they're still involved in the ticket strategy, the marketing strategy, budgets, you know, all that type of stuff. So you learn all of that at the lower levels. Um, So, you know, working with the Lions, 
I, I think about it all the time. Like, honestly, I don't know where I'd be, you know, professionally without having worked for a team for so long at that level, but also personally, because I learned so much as a person and I grew so much as a person working around those people and that organization. You know, I always joked and I said, you know what, guys, if I win the lottery, I would still maybe, you know, I wouldn't ask to get paid anymore, but I would still want to be at the rink every day, you know, going on the road trips. You know, I, I miss minor hockey. That's, that's the best year, you know, in pro there's, there's just so many different aspects, kind of minor hockey. It's the pure, you know, you're playing for, you're playing with your friends. You're playing for the fun of the game. You know, no one's drafted. No one has signing bonuses. No one's this, no one's that to an extent, you know? Yeah. So uh, I love my time with the lions and I actually worked with, them again a bit this past season um so yeah it was great yeah and, and you know working with the AAA and as other people have done I, I personally haven't done much work uh, at the AAA level it's something I look to maybe do in the future here in Newfoundland but uh yeah people always talk about the excitement and and the unique experience and like you said there's not a whole lot of staff so you're often doing different roles which you benefited from as you transitioned um just keeping on that experience, maybe talk a little bit more about uh, being around the players at that age and maybe the excitement of them working into their draft years or, or whatever their next steps were going to be. And then uh, maybe talk about how it was trying to help them uh, develop as players on and off the ice. Yeah, so so at that, that age, you know, we're looking at the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League draft and, you know, in where the team is situated, we're close to the States also. So a lot of the kids had options to either play major junior or uh, pursue a, a prep school or go to the NCAA route, you know? So every year um, it was interesting, interesting to see what direction they took. And then, you know, just seeing, seeing their off ice habits, their work, their, their work on the ice. Um, you know, we never really focused on the draft. We focused on if you're going to be a better player and a better person, the draft is going to take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of everything from September to April, you know, the scouts aren't going to notice you when it's June. So if you just focus and control on control what you can control, that's what really fo we focus on, you know, focus on the process, not the end result, because that stuff will take care of itself if you do the right things. Like, honestly, you know, I've, I've seen so many players younger older if you're good enough someone's gonna find you like if you listen to enough podcasts if you read enough athletic articles if you read enough articles on twitter there's always someone who playing wise who is good enough and someone found them so that's what we try to try to partake on them and then just be a superstar in, in your role you know we don't we never used role player i don't personally like that term because everyone has a role in the team you know the years we won the players who played, you know, the PK minutes, the hard forechecking minutes, those players were as important as the players who scored the goals and quote unquote got the glory, you know? Yeah. So you need, you need a team. You need, you know, everyone says it all the time, but unless you're around the environment and I'm not going to say you have to win because you can be competitive and you can see the difference. I was fortunate enough to, to win two midget AAA championships with that team. But, you know, if, if you're around it all the time, you see it takes, you know, 20 guys, you're six, seven, eight people on the staff. Everyone makes a difference. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great model. You know, uh, some people get subjected to these roles, but everybody on the team has a role and they, uh, you know, they, while they might not get as much of the spotlight as, like you said, the scores, you know, the people that do the little things uh, obviously play a part and a lot of them go on to be successful as well. Uh, so backtracking just a little bit, you also had an opportunity to intern briefly uh, with the Rochester Americans and uh, Nighthawks. 
How did that position start and how was your initial experience in pro hockey on the game day and business side? Yeah, so that started because if we go back to Champlain, in the, it's a three-year program. In the last semester, you have to do an internship. And the point of the internship is to, since it's a technology program, you're, you're meant to go into the workforce right away. So the goal behind the internship is to do an internship and then maybe get on with the company. So a friend of mine, it was actually his idea. He said, hey, I'm going to email all the AHL teams, all the NFL teams. So I said, okay, you know, I'm not really a football guy at all. So I said, I'll take kind of the second half of the AHL. You take the first half. We might have gotten six uh, emails back. And um, so yeah, Rochester is one of the teams that got back to me. So I got in, my friend got in, two other people in our program got in. And then our teacher said, hold on a second, why are they accepting everyone? And it turns out they have an internship program. So he checked it out. It was all good. So we drove down there for five weeks. Um, we did everything from ticket sales to uh, production to in-game presentation, uh, communication. So every kind of game night, we would all do a rotation and shadow someone. So I guess that was my first introduction to working in pro hockey. But in a sense, it wasn't that new to me because I was used to kind of working the whole day or being in school yeah. and then having to spend four, five, five and a half hours of drink anyway. So I was kind of already quote unquote conditioned for yeah. that stuff. But yeah, that was kind of my first uh, venture also living away from home. Um, so it was, it was interesting to say the least. It was definitely a good time. It was cool. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think anytime you can get a little bit of uh, experience under you and obviously you had a lot of uh, uh, hockey experience and hockey operations and just being able to continue your program and, yeah, that little experience obviously never heard, and it sounded like it was an interesting experience to say the least. Uh, so going back then uh, a little bit forward, uh, in December 2014, you got an opportunity to work as a referee video coach with the IIHF. Uh, how did you find yourself in that position, and what were some tasks associated with that role? Yeah, so I actually have a funny story for you on this one if you want. Yeah, go ahead. So I remember we were, it was actually the holiday time and like the midget AAA season takes a pause and we do a, like a secret Santa gift exchange and we do kind of staff versus player scrimmage. So we came off the ice one day and we're sitting in the coach's office and the head coach gets a call from uh, the head of the referees in the queue and whatever, he keeps looking at me and I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. So he gets off the phone, I go shower, I change, whatever. He goes, Hey, uh, uh, someone's going to give you a call tonight. Uh, by your phone so okay I know I'm not getting called up or anything you know I'm not a player yeah. um, so he calls me he goes he goes hey we're doing this the double IHF is doing this video program and you know obviously helped I was in the area but he's like you had a lot of people who kind of vouch for you because um, you know how they say just kind of keep working hard when no one's watching you know always be nice to people so I built up a good relationship with people who work in our league in the queue and what happened was one of the people from Steve was actually supposed to do the job, but for whatever reason, he backed out. So I had originally signed up to be a volunteer. I was going to do security. So, you know, I watch the world juniors every year. I thought it'd be cool to kind of be a part of it. So I speak to the guy on the phone, Richard Trottier, and um, he goes, okay, this is what the role is. Uh, be at this hotel at this time on this day, you'll meet the double IHF staff. They'll give you more information. Okay, sure. So I, uh, I got my suit and tie on. I uh, went to the hotel and we go in the conference room. So I meet the double IHF supervisors and me, you know, I'm from a suburb in Montreal. You know, I've never played at a high level. I, I've never had any international experience before this. 
something. Oh, wow, you know, this is cool, double IHF. What's going to happen? So they, they film me a little bit. We have a meeting with all the, the officials. The, the meeting ends, and they said, okay, uh, be at the rink uh, this time. This is what you're going to be doing. Uh, they gave me all the details, and they gave me an envelope. Uh, so I said, what's this? They're like, uh, it's, your, um, it's your pay. I said, okay, cool, thanks. I just put it in my bag. I walked out. You know, I went into it thinking I was just going to be a volunteer like I originally signed up for. So uh, I leave the, leave the conference room, and I'm like, oh, like, I wonder like, how much money it is, you know? So I go where no one can see me, and I open the envelope, and it's like Monopoly money. So what the <laughs> heck is this? So I did some research, and the IHF is headquartered in Switzerland. So they paid me in Swiss francs. Oh, wow. Obviously, the next logical step is figure out the currency converter, right? So I do the currency exchange and uh, I got paid pretty, pretty well for that. <laughs> for something I was just thought I would do for free. You know, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is cool. I get, I get to be at every World Junior game at the Bell Center. Um, I get to kind of see the inner workings and what it looks like upstairs, you know, because as a fan, you don't really see the behind the scenes stuff, you know? So, uh, yeah, I did the World Juniors. Um, you know, I, I guess I did, I did a good job because they called me back for three other uh, tournaments. So I did the 2016 world championship in Germany. I did the 2017 world juniors again in Montreal. And then that one was, that one was different because I got to do the whole tournament because when you're in the quote unquote second city, you do your quarterfinal games and your tournaments over, even when you're overseas, you fly home. Yeah. So although the first year in Montreal was incredible to see Canada play and that game against USA I've never been in a building louder like I was shaking my ears were were vibrating like it was nuts absolutely nuts and then the second year so I did all the games so unfortunately I saw Canada lose in the shootout to the US and then the world championships in Russia um, so some of the roles and responsibilities it's really the same as a video coach but you're cutting for the officials so it was a lot easier because there's not that many events so it would be Goals, penalties, missed calls, offsides, icings, face-offs, uh, good communication clips. Because the whole point behind the program was to use video to better evaluate the officials. And then they're also looking to use um, evaluations to grow their Olympic pool for four years down the road. So whenever you know, you're watching the game now and you think, oh, you know, the supervisor has to have a talk with him, I promise you. Someone is having a talk yeah. with them. Someone is cutting the video. They are being evaluated. And then some of the other roles, responsibilities are same thing as a normal video coach. And there might not be pre-scout, but post-game, you have to, you know, assemble some clips. Um, every night, we did the supervisor's meeting. Um, so I would go. I wouldn't, wasn't always, I guess, uh, used per se per video. But if they wanted to see anything, because we would do a conference call with the other city. Um, or maybe the, the next day we would say, okay, here's some questionable plays. We just want to go over it with you guys. So we would, I guess, have breakfast. And then I would set up the video. We would do a video meeting. And then in between periods, there were certain clips, like all the goals, all the penalties always had to be uploaded. And then at the end of every period, the, the supervisor of the game would always maybe have some requests. So maybe if there was good communication between a player, you know, this is how you talk to a player. This is how you approach the coach on the bench. So I'd have to do that stuff. And then just going back to kind of my video coach experience about always wanting to be efficient. My goal would always be to have everything up from the previous period before the next period started. So all my goals and penalties and miscellaneous clips would hopefully at least be 
in the um, in the queue to be uploaded before the second period started. And uh, yeah, and then I would always clip, um, you know, uh, if, if a guy falls or something like a blooper, if something happens like that, and then the guys always wanted me to clip at least one one or two videos of the guys doing something. So it might be a linesman dropping the puck, a referee making a call, uh, doing the goal sign, you know, so just put something together for the guys after, you know, add the tournament logos, uh, make it look good. So those were the roles and responsibilities there. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I never thought I'd do anything like that in my life. Like I said, you know, I never played, I had never had any international experience. And here I am walking around Russia and Germany, working with the double IHF, you know, it's, it's unreal, but it just goes to show you, like, if you kind of work hard and, and you, you know, even when people aren't watching and, you know, you're, you're nice to people, you show people that they have confidence in you, that they can vouch for you, which is really big, that good things will hopefully happen to you. So yeah. it just goes to show, uh, you know, be the hardest perk work, be the hardest working person in the room, even when no one's watching and good things will come. And, and obviously you had uh, people who are, definitely willing to vouch for you and to be able to say that you know as someone who never really played at a competitive level here you are you know being a video coach for, in Russia like you said or in Germany and uh, there's not many people you know that can that can go through that path and and end up in that position it's uh, and then the unique story about the payment that's something definitely that uh, I'm sure people <laughs> will be interested in hearing from and I'm sure there's others who've uh, who have been in the same position um, so then in two, uh, 2016 you started working with Sport Logic, and in the following years, worked in a few different roles with that organization. Uh, how did you get that opportunity? And maybe speak about your time with Sport Logic and some of the roles you held there, if possible. Yeah. So, I, I, my mom's, you know, my mom's brother's cousin's friend knew someone who worked there. You know, everyone has a story like that. And this was, this was around the World Championships. Cause I, so I was working in digital sales before that and it just wasn't for me. I was fed up and then I didn't want to pursue another job yet because in a month, no one's going to hire me and then let me leave to Russia, you know? So I said, I'll work. I was also trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Like I never really taken a break. I'd always, you know, been in school, uh, CJEP university, always had my job plus my job with the Lions. So I never really had time off. So I applied at sport logic and then they gave me an interview and they, Honestly, I pretty much got hired on the spot because I was the only one who actually had hockey and video experience. So that season, I started working there. Um, um, so I did that role for two years, kind of quality control in a sense. And then um, there's, there's a role higher up than that. It's kind of a different type of quality control. And then I was working in this last year in another role. Um, so yeah, I've been there for three and a half years. Um, I'm no longer there anymore. I just felt like it was time to move on, do something else. Um, but it was definitely a good experience for me who wants to pursue a video slash analytics uh, path in the future. So, you know, at the start, I didn't really know what I was looking at. Like analytics were still kind of new back then. But, you know, as I got more interested, there's a lot of information there. Um, if anyone's listened to Eric Tolsky speak, he talks about how in the public world, you have 300 data points per game. And then in the private companies, you have 3,000, 3,500 data points in the game. So once you kind of learn um, kind of how to use the data, um, value what you value, um, you know, you can really find some cool things in there and you can 
always use the video to either, you know, uh, you know, confirm what you see, or maybe the video says something else about the numbers. So, you know, you always want to use both. So um, I definitely don't regret my time there. And uh, yeah, it, it was a great experience. Yeah. And it seems, it seems like a good company and, and it seems like they're doing a uh, good work, you know, in that field. Uh, there's other companies out there, obviously people hear about Stathletes and Instat and all these different companies. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're really trying to bring in that new element of video and analytics and, and like you said, there's so many different data points and everybody does it differently. And I guess at the end of the day, it comes down to exactly what you're looking for and how each individual uses it. So uh, it's good to hear that you had a good experience with that uh, company. And that was something that I was interested in hearing about as well. So recently you moved to the AHL as a hockey operations assistant with the Laval Rocket. Uh, what was the process in joining that organization? And how has the transition been working in hockey operations for the first time at the pro level? Yeah, so um, this is actually a lesson that I tell everyone. It's you have to be proactive. So I know it's not every year that a pro hockey team moves to your city, but um, we knew kind of two years before that, that, well, they were in Newfoundland before that, um, that the Montreal AHL team would move here because they started building the arena. And I didn't know exactly when, what season they'd it'd be ready for, but I knew it would be in two or three years. So literally the year before, I reached out to the goalie coach, video coach on LinkedIn. And I'm like, hey, this is kind of who I am. This is my background. I want to get involved when you guys get here. Because my whole idea was, I don't want to wait till next summer. I don't want anyone else to get the jump on me. Yeah. You know? So you always got to be proactive. So that's how that started. Um, we stayed in touch throughout the season. Um, when I got back from Germany, from the world, uh, we spoke on the phone for like an hour and a half. And kind of just talking about, my like really getting to know me really getting to know what I want to do what he might need help with um, there was a lot of kind of here's the ideas that he wants to move forward with but he won't know until kind of after the summer once budgets are approved and the setup and things like that you know so there's a lot of patience but he but he assured me that like I'd have a spot in whatever it is so um, that was the process for that and then I guess uh, the difference. So I was with the Lions for nine years before that. So, you know, it's different, different organization, everything's different, the rink, the people, um, you know, the analogy I use is I was kind of a big fish in a small pond, but now I was just a small fish in a big pond at the AHL level. Cause there's so many people around. Um, so it was different, you know, the rink was five minutes away from me when I worked with the Lions. Now it's 30, 35 minutes away. So everything was, it honestly, it took me two months to really, get used to it. Yeah. I remember driving one day, it was a Saturday afternoon, uh, three o'clock AM. And I was just thinking like, huh, okay, well, you know, this is kind of my new role. This is kind of my new life. Um, so what do I do there? I do. So my main goal was time on ice tracking. So I always do Laval and then there's someone else who works with me who always does the road team. And we do it like that because, um, for a couple reasons, one is so that's consistent. Two, it's that we each have our own computers. So if the coaches ever need something, they know all of our stuff is on mine and all the opposition is on his. And he had never worked really in hockey operations before. So it was something I learned is, you know, look out for the younger people. So that was actually my way of kind of protecting him. Because if he made a mistake, you know, he might not see the coach in Binghamton for three, four weeks. The guy might have forgot, forgotten about, it, you know. If he makes a mistake, the Laval coach is right there. And so that was, you know, I have the experience. I know how to kind of deal in those situations. So that was my way of 
of kind of sh uh, shielding him from things that can go wrong, you know? So there's a couple of reasons why we did that. And then honestly, I was, I was so used to doing so many things at Lac St. Louis. I wasn't kind of used to working at like such a low level during the game, you know, so I'm just doing time on ice, you know, trying to do the best job I can because I did time on ice with the lions. Um, at one point, like I was kind of, I don't know, bored with Steva. Yeah. Like I need to do something else. And it wasn't league mandated that we do time on ice yet. So I asked the head coach and I just started doing it. So that was kind of my background to time on ice. So then, you know, I, I told myself, I said, I don't know when, I don't know how, but there's going to be some other way I'm going to be able to add value. And that was my face-off tracking reports. So that's something I did at, at LSL also. So I remember one day, it was like early November, before the game, the assistant coach, He's like, man, these, I don't like these, these uh, reports we're getting, you know, like, take a look at this. So he shows me the sheet and obviously I'm going to agree with him. Right. I'm like, yeah, yeah, these are terrible. Uh, not very good. So he goes, oh, what do you think we can do about this? I said, I got you. I got you. So I kind of just drew up something by hand and then we used it for that game and he liked it. And then I, you know, made it on Excel. You know, I use uh, play. like, it's nothing revolutionary. It's literally our guys against their guys each zone, each side of the ice. Um, but I dressed it up, you know, with uh, Laval Rocket logos and just colors, you know, I made it look good. And then, you know, long story short, that kind of grew into a date or not daily, but game day report. So pre-game, I'll send it to who, well, the assistant coach is Alex Burroughs now. He used to play for Vancouver. So I'll send it to him every morning at 9 a.m. Even when they're on the road, um, you know, I only do the home games. Uh, but I still keep up to date with the road games for all my reports. And then it's, it literally just grew from there. You know, there's some other uh, pregame reports I do for them. Uh, there's a report I do for the goalie coach, but it just goes to show you that, you know, you have to do one thing right, because if you don't do the first thing right, no one's going to give you something else to do. So, you know, everyone always says it, you know, whatever task the head coach gives you, you have to nail it. You have to be able to sustain the work. It has to be consistent. And then you'll get more responsibility. Everyone wants more responsibility right away, right away, right away. But that's not how it works. You have to show that you can consistently, just like a player, you have to consistently handle the workload that the coaches are giving to you. So that was my time in Laval. Uh, you know, I can't believe I just finished up my third season there. But, you know, it's been good so far. Um, you know, made some, some new contacts from being in the box upstairs with the, with the scouts all the time um so yeah it's been great so far yeah it, it sounds again like a, a great experience and you know being proactive like you, you like you've touched on a number of times and and looking for that extra added value whether it be with the face-offs and tracking time on ice and and doing it doing it consistently and at a high level that that's great and uh it also sounds like a unique opportunity you know i i was on the other end when the ice caps left for laval um so I, it seemed like a great uh, timing for you to reach out and, and kind of, uh, you know, get ahead of the rest of the group. And maybe that's a lesson that others listening can uh, take upon themselves. And I'm sure now we'll have every listener here doing it, going applying for the same jobs. But um, so Alyssa wants to know, uh, from what you see, does the reputation of success that is portrayed with the parent club, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, how does that affect the Rocket as an organization? And then to add to that, does the does this seem to affect prospects who will soon be in Montreal as they go through the system? Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I would think it definitely affects the prospects because even though I've been there for three years, I still, 
not that I'm, I don't know if starstruck is the right word, but I, it's still like imprints on me when I walk into the facility. Like this is the American League team of the Montreal Canadiens. Like even for me, who knows, maybe, you know, if they need another video coach, if their guy retires, you know, Mario LeBlanc's been there for 20 something years, him, Nigel Kerwin, Pete Smith, and um, uh, Jerry in New York, Jerry Deneen, I think they've all been there for 20 years. Um, so that's always in the back of my mind, but yeah, like you walk in, um, when coach Joel Bouchard took over, he actually kind of, I guess, added some character to it. So, you know, you have the red carpet in the room, you have uh, rocket picks when you walk in and you turn left, that's where you get into kind of the facility. But if you keep going straight, there's a long corridor and that's how you get to the ice. And that's where you have, you know, the gold pictures of the rocket. And then you have Canadians logos around the room, which is pretty standard, right? Like every AHL team has the yeah. NHL logos, but it's something different when it's the Canadians, you know, everyone knows the history when they get drafted and, you know, you walk in and you see um, what last time they won the call to cup, Carey Price was there, Gallagher was there. So it's good for the players to see uh, players who were in the AHL who were successful there and who are successful in big parts of this team in the NHL level. So I would definitely say it, it's imprinted on the guys. Like even all the equipment's the same. It's the same helmets, the same gloves, the same pants, even the pants have the Canadians logo. Um, so yeah, definitely imprints on the guys that it's a big opportunity, especially with management being 30 minutes down the road at, at the Bell Center. Um, there's always, you know, either a pro scout, player development coach, um, Trevor Timmons is there, Mark Bergeron is there, like all these guys, there's always one or two guys, you know, so it's, it's always a big opportunity for the guys uh, to know where they're playing and to impress upon the management that they're A, getting better and B, that maybe they could push for an NHL spot. Yeah. and uh yeah i think that was the question yeah that, that pretty much sums that one up uh you know me personally uh, i had some experience uh, with the growlers and they obviously work with the leafs but i i understand what you mean in the way that uh you know the successful organizations who work well with their affiliates uh really play a part and to make sure it got a professional look and then as you said having development coaches and and scouts constantly, uh, you know, having eyes on them, and especially in Laval being so close to uh, Montreal and the Bell Centre there, uh, just, you know, adds that extra element of, uh, you know, connectivity to the, to the uh, Montreal Canadiens. So and I think that... One more, one more point there. It's yeah, also off the ice stuff too, you know, like everyone, you know, you see the interviews on TSN, Sportsnet, you see how many guys and women are in the room, like with microphones and, and notepads, and it's, it's obviously not the same extent in in Laval, but there's still a lot of people that come downstairs to talk to the players, so they get used to it as well. You know, doing those scrums, answering the questions. So you know, that's another learning opportunity for them too, and something that they have to take into account when you know they're developing in the AHL is good kind of PR and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, and that's definitely an added bonus. You know, you go to a hockey crazy market like Montreal, where uh, they're going to be uh, asking you questions almost every day. Um, so in your uh, role with Laval and from your past experiences, you've been exposed to different elements such as, uh, you know, video and analytics. Uh, talk about how you've seen it grow in hockey operations, maybe from where you started and where you are now and how players have adapted to it, whether it be at the AHL level or during your time in AAA. Yeah. So it's actually interesting because I'm, I guess, kind of, on that side of it because I use it you know I was working at Logic, so you know at the end of the day analytics is just information like even when I was doing my face-off stats in LSL all these years ago I didn't really know what analytics were but that's what it was it's just information it's just numbers that's all it is and so it's definitely being intertwined more and more with video 
Um, like I know even some NHL video coaches, they're responsible for the five on five pre-scout and they're giving the meetings and they give meetings with video mixing with analytics. And, you know, it's something that's not going away. And, you know, you, you got to start using it some capacity. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not the person to say, Oh, numbers, numbers, numbers. But I can tell you another funny story. So there's a pro scout that I know and he was working with his old organization and a trait, he was uh, like assistant job manager, director of personnel, player personnel. And um, someone comes to him and goes, Hey, hey you got to get this guy's trade deadline. Oh, he suppressed his shots. He suppressed his shots. Oh, we need him. We need him. We need him. The guy goes, Hey, have you ever seen this player play? The guy goes, no. He goes, there's no, you know, explicit chance yeah. for training for this guy. I don't care what his numbers say. So I definitely think there is value in numbers. There is, numbers or value in numbers there is value in you know watching the guys play um because you have to see how they generate those numbers you know um so yeah it's definitely not going away um i definitely uh recommend anyone to start doing some sort of tracking whether it's entries or you know dumps and recoveries and uh stuff like that so just just get started you have to do something which i know we'll touch on later yeah, that's a great point. And it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's becoming a part of hockey operations and the video and analytics, you know, like you said, they're, they're kind of fusing together and, and uh, the people that are really successful are the people that obviously use both of them and then the eye test and fuse them all together, not leaning too heavily on one and doing their due diligence. Uh, on the topic of, topic of working with players, another listener question is when breaking down games and presenting to the players, maybe this would be more so at the AAA level, how often do they see things on their own? And when they don't see things initially, what is your process for communicating the messages to them? Yeah, so at LSL, um, as I mentioned, once we started doing the time on ice, then we started giving them access to their own shifts. So I would upload those to the server at the end of the game. So they had access to their shifts literally 10 minutes after the game, every game. Well, not on the road because we had to come home first, but home games 10 minutes after the game. Um, so... You know, it's definitely changed and it's grown over the years. Like me personally, I don't go over video with players aside from my face-off stuff. Like I got it to a point where like the face-off stuff was kind of my, my baby. You know, I would track the stuff during the game. I would work with the guys at practice. Um, you know, you kind of monitor it every weekend, you know, take the temperatures. You know, like do you have to talk to this guy? Does he know? Did he just have a bad weekend? Like you have to get to know the person and how – they would react or kind of what they're thinking, you know, you know, especially in the playoffs, it was, I did a lot more work with the guys, you know, with pre-scouts and tendencies and, you know, different situations. Like there was one player who he always did the push play and it would drive me bananas in our D zone. When I can see it from where I'm sitting in the stands, how can you not see it? You're standing in front of the guy. Like I like, look at his hand placement, look at his feet, you know? So yeah, that stuff, that stuff would get on my nerves a little bit. Um, but that's all part of, you know, focusing and, and being in the game, right? Yeah. Um, so in terms of the minute detail stuff, um, I think I, everyone's kind of different. Like even, um, you know, as, as we both grow up, we notice different things in life, not only in hockey too, you know? So it's just kind of a learning process and how, I guess, detail-oriented somebody is uh, with, you know, not only hockey, but in life also. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. And, you know, everybody has different listening techniques and, there's always these mental assessments and different things that we're seeing in hockey now. And it just goes to show that everybody learns differently. So uh, the exact way of communicating with them, if they don't see it might be, yeah, go ahead. Uh, just, yeah, just one thing on that note. It's also one thing that's changed is kind of the why, like before it's like, you hear a lot of people say it too. It's like, well, 
why am I putting my hand like this on my stick? Why am I putting my feet like this? Well, it's to either offset this or put, to put yourself in a better situation. So that's one thing that's definitely changed with players is, is the why. Like they want to understand, does it bring them value? Because once, once something brings somebody value, they always go for it, you know? Like, uh, I don't really have an example off the top of my head, but yeah, you know, everyone wants more value. Everyone wants more bang for their buck, so. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's why at the point of anal- analysis and, and all that, you want to gain that extra value. Uh, so to uh, continue on that topic and, and a little bit as a follow-up, Jordan Hunter expressed his support for Exos and its abilities. Uh, is there a program or a certain thing that you've used in the past that you feel is beneficial to learn? And uh, how is the learning experience moving into video coaching, you know, at the AAA level and in training your eye to read the game in a different perspective? Yeah. So Jordan's interview was fantastic. Actually, he had a lot of experience, not just in, in video coaching, but in business and administration, I actually DM'd on Twitter. Um, like, Hey, like that was fantastic. Like you nailed it. Um, but yeah, so I obviously, like I mentioned, I started on Steva. And so I think, again, you just have to start somewhere because all computer programs are kind of the same. The one thing that changes is uh, the language and the setup. So I used Steva for five years before Exos. And that was my biggest issue is where is kind of my edit screen in Exos? Where, how do I review my clips in Exos? What is the language called? Um, so that was really my biggest issue there. And then when I was learning sports code this summer, I was fortunate enough to get a free demo from them. And that was another issue too, is where is this? How do I do that? But once you kind of uh, understand how the programs work, it's a lot easier. It's really, like I said, the language that um, that takes a lot, a lot of getting used to. And yeah, like definitely sports code and exos are, are definitely more advanced than Steva. But I actually set up my sports code to do something that the Steva does. You know, if you have um, PK or power play open, it kind of flashes red in the top left corner. So when I have my PK or power play, or if I have my forecheck, D zone, OZP or neutral zone coverage, I set it up that when one of those buttons is activated, the other ones kind of fade out. So yeah. it's a it's a mental note or a visual note that the button is open in my mind. I don't forget to close it, you know? Yeah, so for sure. It's it's definitely you know, there are definitely ways you can bring forward what you've learned in past systems, but you know, if you can learn exos and sports code, those are the two most popular systems at the pro level and even major junior NCAA. So yeah, if you can get your hands on those and definitely uh, give it a go. Yeah, and just being able to get your hands on and obviously learn the different things. Uh, there's so many different programs and, and they all have their abilities. So, uh, you know, something I personally hope to, you know, get a little more hands on with. But, uh, you know, everybody that has, uh, you know, whatever they use, whether it be Steve or Exos or whatever they say, just just start at it and, and you know, see what works for you and then go from there. Uh, so outside of your immediate work, you also run the pro video coaches account on Twitter and you have your own newsletter. How about you talk about both of those initiatives and the ideas behind them? Yeah. So pro hockey video coaches, it's kind of a funny story. I kind of chuckle all the time when I, when I get asked this, but so like I mentioned before, I was always about, you know, the behind the scenes stuff, you know, I'd watch uh, 20 Venkat Sayash, the Canadian behind the scenes stuff. I'd watch, you know, in the room with the penguins behind the B. 24 uh, seven road to the winter classic, all that stuff. And I always thought, why is there nothing for video coaches? There's something I was interested in. So November, 2017, I, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start the account. I said clubs and clubs, whatever. At least I gave it a go. And um, 
So I thought if I can get, you know, 500 followers, that'd be pretty cool. You know, if I can get a thousand, that would be amazing because it's, it's so niche. Right. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of started following, uh, the guys who are in those positions in the NHL, AHL, like I can probably name every NHL, AHL video coach in NHL, AHL right now. So then they would follow back and then I would kind of go through their history and, you know, look for content. And then people started following it. The first kind of 100, 150 people was easy to get to. But then my goal turned to be 250 a season. So right now I'm at 865, 866, I think. So I'm definitely on my way to 1,000, hopefully. Which So the goal is actually, uh, for those, if you don't follow them, it's Pro Hockey Equipment Managers on Twitter. That's really where I got the idea from. So between them and mixing my interest for behind-the-scenes stuff, that's how it all came about. And now it's actually, I would say, my biggest networking tool. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example, another story. When I went to the draft in Vancouver last year, so there's a statue of Roger Nielsen outside of the Vancouver Arena. And if you're not familiar with Roger Nielsen, he was dubbed, quote-unquote, Captain Video, the first coach to implement video in the NHL. So he's actually the avatar on the account. I thought it would be a nice kind of tribute to him. So anyway, I post uh, – I post the video or the picture on the Twitter account and it's at video underscore coaches, quick plug at video underscore coaches. And I had Daryl Seward reach out to me. Who's a video coach in Vancouver. He goes, Hey, I saw your picture. If you're around, you know, in the next couple of days, uh, let's, let's meet up. So obviously I said, yeah. So he gave me his number and we met up uh, Friday afternoon before the draft. So, you know, it just comes back to you. If you know, you put yourself out there, you just try, honestly. That's all you can do in life is just try, do new things, and you know, hopefully good things happen. So that's really the story behind Pro Hockey Video Coaches. And then kind of the same uh, extent with the newsletter where you know, I feel like – so I'm 30 years old now. I started with the Lions at 18 as equipment manager. So I have 12 years of working you know, in the hockey world and different experiences, meeting different people, you know, the double IHF stuff. So I just always felt like I had a lot of, I guess um, – information to kind of help people and you know people have helped me so I want to give back and you know people are writing blogs so I figured you know what once again I'll just give it a go if it flubs it flubs um so yeah that was the idea behind that um uh, so far I put out six posts usually I have one to three people who dm me asking you know they want to like expand on something I wrote about or they just want to ask me a new question because obviously it's uh, my name's on there. So that's, that's good. Um, you know, I enjoy kind of helping people, um, helping to grow uh, the video coach, uh, I don't know, video coach game, video coach role. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know the guys like it too. Like uh, I think you mentioned on the last podcast or was it Jordan who said not everyone kind of gets the recognition they deserve. And, you know, it's unbelievable what all these video coaches do, whether it's, you know, major junior, college, AHL, ECHL, uh, NHL, like what, what I'm showing on there is really like skimming off the top. It's, it's unbelievable how many different jobs and roles these people have to manage, men and women. There's lots of women who are video coaches, especially at the college level. And I know we're going to see some in the NHL one day. It's, I wish everyone can kind of see what I've seen or heard what I've heard. Uh, so yeah, my video coaches, uh, Twitter account is my way of kind of showing those people, uh, out there, what goes on behind the scenes and, and giving those people who work behind the scenes, the recognition they deserve, because they're such an important, 
part of the video stuff. Like, think about it. If there's no video, what are the coaches going to do for pre-scout? Yeah, exactly. Watch on uh, the uh, DVR from the night before, you know, and like the detail these guys put into it. Um, it's it's next level. These these guys are and women are amazing at what they do. So that's really the uh, the story behind the pro hockey video coaches and the newsletter. Yeah, and and for those of you who don't follow that account, it's definitely uh, worth the follow. You know, I, I followed it long before I, I started speaking with you, and I uh, was always interested in just seeing the you know the behind the scenes stuff. And as you said, it's only the skimming off the top. So uh, that's great. And then obviously the newsletter. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of people are looking for new ways to learn and I think that newsletter has a like you said is a niche topic video coaching so definitely something that I would recommend people looking as well and uh, so moving forward from that uh, you know as you're giving content for people to review and, and learn from uh, what kind of things do you look for uh, to learn from whether it be books or, or articles or other things webinars etc yeah so I I, I definitely, I'm like Jordan, I'm big into culture. So, um, there are those types of books I read, but, um, like I said before, I guess my main uh, way to learn is by looking at the behind the scenes stuff. Um, you know, definitely listen to podcasts like this one. Um, uh, what else, what else, what else, you know, reading the articles that are done. Um, I went to the Exos conference in 2017 because you need to be a, uh, a uh, a user so that was really big for me I networked a lot from there um, I was planning on going this year too but that's probably not going to happen so yeah some conferences um, you know I think the underlying uh, message is really just have to do something like it's it's really poor of you not to do something there's so much literature available there's so much audio available there's so many conferences available that it's worth your money like I know Jordan had mentioned he he goes to a lot of them and they don't necessarily have to be video based but it's more of the exposure you're learning what goes into working at the professional level you know you don't have to be a pro to act like a pro and that's one thing i always try to do even at the midget level because i never knew if i was gonna move up or go anywhere you know so there's you just have to do something you know maybe not everyone's a um into books so find something online to read follow a blog follow you know, all these people who are speakers, you know, it, like, again, it doesn't have to be hockey. It just has to be relevant to what you're interested in because those are transferable skills that you can bring to, to hockey. Yeah, that, that's a great point and a great lesson for people, you know, just it, it's, you should be doing something. And especially in a time like this where, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to take the time uh, for many people to do that little bit extra insight and and whether it be you know you talk on those uh documentaries and stuff that teams do oil change is another one with the oilers there a few years ago uh, just looking in behind the scenes and then you know coming up with your own ideas and and perspectives from what you see and and read and listen to and etc uh, so you know you provide a lot of advice through this uh interview and insightful perspective obviously and in your newsletter you do the same uh looking at your career to date what are some major lessons that you've learned yeah, so I'll give everyone a second to grab a piece of paper because, you know, like we had spoken before, I have listened to all the podcasts and, you know, there are some things that I'm obviously going to say, but I think there's some different ones too. So first of all is really, you know, everyone says it all the time, you know, do it the right way, but it's hard. Sometimes doing it the right way is the longer way, but the payoff is bigger. So, you know, don't be lazy, do it the right way, do it the way that the coach is going to appreciate it because once he appreciates it, then he's going to come back to you. And that's what you want. 
Um, like I'd mentioned before at Lions, you know, be a superstar in your role. If you're the athletic therapist, be the best athletic therapist you can be. If you're the equipment manager, be the best equipment manager you, be, you can be. Um, everyone has a role in their team and it's important. One thing I learned a long time ago is that early is on time and on time is late. You know, you never know what's going to happen. I talk about it in one of my blogs. Um, you know, one game I went to this year, for whatever reason, the Black Magic box wasn't working. It turns out there was an update that had to be done. So I'm there during warm-up. The music's going on. I have the guys at Exos uh, fixing my update. And, you know, you just always got to be early, 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 early. Um, like I mentioned before, you don't have to work in pro to act like a pro. How you carry yourself, how you take care of yourself, and how you act. You know, it's so simple to to just eat well, sleep well, prepare stuff for the next day. You know, like I mentioned, when I was taking public transportation two and a half, three hours each way, you know, I had gone to the rink the night before to drop off my game stuff. So I can just go straight to the rink. I don't have to worry, you know. Um, one thing or two things that I always live by was kind of be over-prepared and have fun. You know, you especially as a video coach, equipment manager, you want to have all your extra wires, you want to have all your extra skate blades, everything you need just in case something happens. Um, one thing that I always kind of keeps me going is that, you know, like I mentioned before, I never played at a high level. My parents were never involved in pro hockey. So kind of everything that I've gone is because of the effort that I put into it. So, you know, I always think there's someone out there in Sweden and China and USA and Kazakhstan who's working as hard as me or harder than me. And that's one thing that you can control is you can't control the weather. You can't control traffic. The only thing you can control is how well you prepare yourself and how hard you work. And then something else that's really important too is that reputation precedes you. Um, you know, it's, it's different in hockey or in sports compared to uh, like the real world, you know, they, they always ask for references, you know, you'll probably still get an interview, but if someone in hockey says no, then no one's going to call you, you know, there's so many people who want to get in. There's so many different positions that are available. It's really important that your reputation precedes you. So when someone asks about, Ryan Stacy and I give a good review or, you know, just in this example, not necessarily, yeah. necessarily saying me that they're going to give Ryan Stacy a call. You know, that's, that's how important it is. Um, so just, uh, you know, those, those couple of details there. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, and people are always, uh, you know, there's so many lessons to learn. And a lot of times it comes from the experience and just being in different places, whether it be, you know, when you were working AAA or a sport logic or in your time with Laval or, over in Russia, you know, doing video coaching for the referees, you know, there's all these different experiences where you can learn. Uh, but another way, obviously, is interaction, uh, which often comes through, uh, you know, people who have hired you or key mentors. Uh, who are some people who have helped you thus far in your career or people that you really leaned on for advice? Yeah, so I would definitely have to go back to the, the LSL staff. You know, I was there for nine years, like I said. Um, I'll just give you three names. So the first one would be our technical director, Carlos Foboda. And... Uh, you might remember his brother, Peter, who played for the Canadians. But the one thing I learned from Carl is that although he's kind of the technical director, he's kind of on top of the organization and he would do the on ice training. He never waits for anybody. He never asks someone else to do it. You know, he's out there bringing the pucks. He's out there bringing the training equipment. You know, you just can't wait for anybody else. Um, then we have our GM, Raz Saltarelli, who, you know, that's one thing I learned. You know, I'd mentioned the admin stuff before. It's really how to juggle everything and time management it's okay well we need this but we need the answer from these two people first you know so it's really learning how to juggle all those things behind this all those things behind the scenes 
so that, you know, we have the bus, we have the meals, we have all the supplies we need. So it's that type of stuff. And then our head coach, John Goyens, who's in uh, Bay Como now, uh, you know, just pushing the limits, always trying to improve. Um, you know, he was really big on video. So that definitely helped me, like, kind of giving me the freedom to, you know, expand the role, talk about new things, trying new things. And, uh, yeah, you know, I still lean on, on Raz and John sometimes because Raz and Carl played pro. And, um, you know, John with more, more, I guess, kind of career advice, you know, what should I do here or, you know, you know, what should I say to this person, stuff like that. So I definitely, uh, you know, I'm appreciative of those three people and, and the environment that we had at LSL where I never been in an environment like that, where they constantly push you to be a better, uh, professional and a better person. So, you know, it's always, you just got to keep going. And that's one thing I kind of learned from them is just keep improving, you know, and those three individual lessons I had mentioned before. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's always good to have one or two key mentors, but when you can have a full staff of them, and like you said, you were there for a number of years, uh, it seems like a great situation. And, uh, you know, they're, they're there for the players and obviously, but even you as a, as a staff member yourself, it seems like a great opportunity for you to, uh, develop your own skills and obviously you're uh, you're reaping the rewards today uh, yeah one more just, yeah just another point there it goes back to what you know Alex said about working in, at a lower level Ian Jordan went back to a lower level it's just because it's a lower level it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad like it's one thing that people don't understand is that when players they make the NHL you're expected to play the NHL is not a developmental league so that's why you have to put in the time in the NHL and it's the same thing when I was at LSL for so long, I was ready to work in the American League, like carrying myself off the ice or out of, outside of the arena, you know, working during the game. That's what the experience gives you. And, you know, a mess up at a lower level might not be such a big deal, but when you're in pro, it's a big deal. And, you know, you're going to feel really bad because, you know, you work so hard to get that opportunity. And here you have one screw up and you might think it's the end of the world, you know? So it's, it's beneficial to work at lower levels to kind of develop and, you know, get yourself ready. And, you know, that's one thing that I wanted to mention too, that Jordan mentioned was after a while, people recognize you and you can mentally take that step. Like, yeah, I can do this, you know? So that was, that was important for that uh, Jordan made uh, last week. Yeah. When, when talking with Jordan, you know, he had a lot of great insight and uh, he's very, you know, he, he discusses his experience in, in a lot of detail and was really good at presenting his ideas. Uh, so my final question for you, uh, if you could give one final piece of advice for someone who hopes to one day be in your position, uh, whether they're looking to get into AAA and go that route or, you know, working the AHL as a hockey operations assistant or, or any of the positions that you've held, what's one final piece of advice? Honestly, I can't just give you one. Can I give you a couple? <laughs> sure. Go for a couple. So I have my couple lists here. So like we said before, you know, you have to start somewhere, reach out to your local team. You know, everyone wants to work at a higher level, but the lower levels are where there's less people. You get more responsibility. Uh, when you're in those settings, be aware, you know, be a sponge. Just listen. You know, you're not necessarily listening to say, to hear the coach say how bad the player played, but listen to, like, why did he play bad or why were they good? You know, that's how you learn to look for different details. Uh, like I mentioned before, look for places that you can add value. Every task you get is important. Nail the task. Make sure anything you get is sustainable and you're consistent you know like we said before own your role whatever position you're in if you're part-time I think this is very important and it's a line that I treaded very carefully is is boundaries you know I'm not part of Laval I know I'm not so when I was first getting to know the coaching staff I would kind of go in say hi 
shoot the breeze and I wouldn't linger. I would get out. I don't want to be seen that seen as that person to overstep your boundaries. But, you know, as you build up the relationship that, uh, you know, you'll be allowed to hang out around more. Um, I know everyone says network, 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 but the one thing that I find has been really beneficial to me is, is unplugging from your phone, from everything and just think, how are you going to be better than somebody else? Like everyone can do XOs, everyone can do sports code, but how are you going to do it and add more value than somebody else? Um, one thing that I've actually done recently and I've gotten a lot of feedback on it is create a portfolio. You know, if you're a photographer, you're an artist, you can send in your pictures, send in your paintings. But as a video coach, what can you say? I know how to use Excel. I know who sports coach. Great. There's a thousand other people who know how to do that. So you have to create a portfolio and show, you know, how you cut your game, what other value you can bring, because that'll put you ahead of all the other candidates and hopefully not in front of me. You know, I'm giving you my, my tips here. Um, one thing that definitely helped me was finding out, um, what people do in those roles, you know? So if you go on the internet, go on the team sites, read the bios, like what do these people do? How did they get there? That was a big thing for me. Again, you know, I never played, I had never any connections. Like, can I do it? And once you talk to enough people, you, you can, it's like you have that switch. Okay. I can do this. I know how to do this. Um, one thing that I think people underestimate is being at the rink, you know, FaceTime is priceless. Um, like I'd mentioned, some of the people that have come into contact now, it's simply just being upstairs. They see me, I say them, you know, I always said, hi. Um, obviously I didn't know who they were. Just always say hi, you know, instead of the head, sh the head shake or, you know, looking at your shoes, just say hi. People want to be around good people and it's come back because now they'll, they see you so many times they may ask you a question or whatever it is. And then boom, there's your in all cause you said hi, all cause you were a good person, you know? And yeah, just be a good person a joy to be around so i hope everyone marked all those down <laughs> yeah definitely um you know I, i'm sure we could go on for a long time just talking about lessons but i, I think you did a great job at uh, expressing the key ones and, and touching on a number of points uh, ian i just want to thank you for taking some time to come on the podcast and sharing your story uh we'll be sure to uh you know allow people to connect with you uh if they will if they want to and i'm sure there will be many people so again thank you for taking time to come on the podcast and i wish you all the best moving forward thanks for having me and i know we mentioned it a couple of times but you know the twitter stuff the the blog stuff it's all on my twitter page at i b e e c k s and then at video underscore coaches so ryan thanks for having me and if anyone wants to reach out uh send me a dm all right take care I'd like to thank Ian for coming on the podcast and talking about his career to date, providing behind-the-scenes detail on experiences which range between the AHL, AAA, and even the IIHF. I think it's clear that Ian possesses a great hockey mind, which aspires to reach the next level, so once again, I'd like to thank him for sharing his story, and I'm excited to see what he does next. If you would like to get in touch with Ian to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can make the connection for you. Additionally, be sure to subscribe to Ian's newsletter and follow his Twitter accounts to gain more in-depth insight on him and other areas of hockey operations. Next on the podcast, we have Wes Wolf, an assistant coach with the Erie Otters. Wes is one of the more open coaches in junior hockey in the way that he showcases his thoughts and opinions across multiple platforms, including the Niagara Coaches Seminar, so be sure to keep an eye out for that episode. As always, I want to thank those who listen for your support. 
your feedback, and for the constant interaction on both a public and interpersonal level. With that, stay safe, everyone, and all the best.